from our church that's happily in the hospital, and that's Elizabeth Milligan. And she gave birth to a little baby boy last night, and David Thomas, is that it? James Thomas, James Thomas Milligan. I think that's, that's the little boy's name. So let me pray for them. Father, for our food, we're thankful. For our fellowship, we're thankful. For James's birth into the world and for Elizabeth's recovery, we give you thanks for these things, and we pray for your blessing upon this family and that this child would grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be a great asset into the kingdom of our Lord. Now, we think of all the things that are going on in our country that cause us great distress. We pray for your peace. We pray for your justice. We pray for every aspect of our national life where we need the power of the Holy Spirit and the focus of individual people on the person of Christ because this is the only direction for this nation. And we pray for all those people in harm's way in the Middle East. We pray for the putting down of these uh, uh, terrorists, and we pray for the uh, life safety of all the citizens of those countries. And, Father, again, would you send the power of the gospel into that part of the world to take these people out of their darkness and into the great light of Christ, the Prince of Peace. And we pray in his name. Amen. We're looking at the book of Colossians, and we're looking under true spirituality. And in verses 21 through 23 that I'd like to read, this is really the way we need to think about what the spiritual life is. And so Paul writes, And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his, that would be Christ's body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before his Father. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, True Spirituality is the uh, title of a book written by Francis Schaeffer in 1971, and it is the fruit of his study that began in approximately 1948. And that study, I think, is very helpful in that when Schaeffer is writing in 71, he is recognizing that so many things have changed in our culture that we have moved away from an understanding of the authority of Scripture into the authority of science. And with the acceptance of the authority of science, uh, so much of what we would call the spiritual focus of life has now been shifted to the material focus of life. And so his effort was to help people who at that time were really struggling with how do we live and how do we stand for true Christianity? How do we do that in this um, scientific and materialistic culture in which uh, we're living at that time? 
very little has changed except for the progress of that materialistic culture and the idea of the rule of science. But true spirituality, the Christian life, in reality, we have to see is lived in the unseen. When we talk about spiritual things, we're talking in most cases about things that the physical eye cannot register on and that these are realities. They're just as much as realities of the tables that are in front of you. These are realities that are enduring and that these realities need our focus and these realities are revealed in the scripture. But the unseen realities of our faith and in following Jesus Christ, uh, whom we've not seen, but we're following him, and this is all a spiritual enterprise in which we live by faith. Now, in these words that we just read, uh, in verses 21 through 23, the first thing that we see here is a sweeping summary of the Christian life. The, the people of the East, the Hebrews, of which Paul was one, they have a tremendous ability to compress things. Uh, it, it's just a terrific gift that they have. And so here Paul talks about where we were before we were Christians, and then he tells us where we're going to, as Christians, end up. And then in the middle he says, now this is how we're going to get from where we were to where we need to be. That's what Paul tells us in these three verses. So in verse 21 he talks about where we were. And he says we are alienated. Now that basically means that we were far from God. Then he goes on to say we were in some way hostile in our thinking. Not only are we far from God, we're against God. And then that we're doing things that are improper, we could basically say the way it's said today, we were acting out. All of this is a consistent word picture, a consistent metaphor of people that are outside of Christ. Um, again, there is no neutral ground. There's no sense where a person can come and say, I'm unaffiliated, I'm not a Christian, uh, I don't belong to the devil, uh, and so I'm unaffiliated. That, that's not the way it works. According to the scripture, in, in this very epistle, Paul in verse 13 can say that people that are not in Christ are under the dominion of darkness. So this is where we were prior to our coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the thing that we need to realize very clearly is when we look out there and we see other people that are not professing a living faith in Christ Jesus, this is their condition. They are, as we used to say, they are lost. These are people that are in their sin. These are people, as Paul says, that are in the dominion of darkness. These are people alienated, hostile in mind, 
and engaged in evil deeds. And I know some of the people that we know, some of our own children, some of our family members, possibly even our mates who are unconverted. We would like to paint them with a better brush, but we, we do them no service by painting them with a better brush because it, it causes them not to look at their true condition. It causes us not to feel that we need to see them move from this condition uh, and into the condition that Paul speaks of here. Now, you see where we're going to end up in verse 22. We're to become holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, when we think of the word holy, uh, you remember when one of the men in the New Testament came to Jesus and he said, good teacher. And Jesus just stopped him cold. He says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. God the Father is holy. Now it's telling us here, we will be like him. Blameless. Now we know at the trial of Jesus that he was accused of many things, but in reality he was blameless. Now I want you to think, not only are you going to be like God the Father, you're going to be like Jesus Christ. You are going to be put in a position in your future that you're going to be blameless and then you're going to be beyond reproach uh, much like the Holy Spirit is beyond reproach we're going to be like the Holy Spirit we're going to be holy people that is where we're moving first uh, John tells us we don't know altogether what this is going to be like but we know this, we will be like him because we will see him face to face. Now, if you're going to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ face to face in his risen and glorified position, the only way we're going to be there is to be like him. Now, Jesus himself can tell us, not only are you going to be like me, but you're going to be with me. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am that you may be also. In John 17, he says in a prayer, I pray, Father, that they would be with me. So the goal is to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus. In the third chapter in verses 4 or 5 of the epistle here that we're looking at, Paul says that our life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then we're going to be revealed with him in glory. So Paul is saying we will share his glory. We're going to be sharing the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it will be. Now, the question becomes, how do we do this? How do we move from where we were? We're at a different place than that now. But we're still not where we ultimately are going to arrive, according to uh, this verse 22. How will we get there? And he tells us in these verses, uh, in the verse previous to this, he says that we have been reconciled through the blood of Christ's cross. We have been reconciled through his fleshly body and death, we're told in these verses. We're told that it is in the faith that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, 
What does this mean, the faith that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in a very simple way, this is the faith that Paul lived by. This is the faith that all the apostles lived by. In Hebrews 11, we see a, a, a scenario saying that there were all these people in the Old Testament and that they lived by faith, that they were promised something. What they were promised was something off in the distance. And what they did is they received the promises of God as if they were their present possession. They owned those promises, those things that were said uh, of them, they believed that they were true at that moment of themselves, and they lived that way, and nobody could move them away from those things. Now, Abraham went through a lot of different types of trials and testing. He kept his eye on the promises of God in the future. That was the gospel for him. And he moved in faith in all that had been spoken to him into the future, no matter how difficult that future was. And so you see how in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the author takes us through the names of many men and a number of women, and he tells us they all lived in the light of the future in the present, and you couldn't shake them. This is the gospel. Now, what is the gospel saying here? The gospel saying this to you very clearly. You ain't. You ain't holy. You're going to be. You're not blameless. You know you're not blameless right now. But you're going to be. You're not beyond reproach right now. But you're going to be. Now, that's the gospel. And you have to hold fast to that. Just like these people did in the Old Testament, that's our call now. We're not to be moved away from it. So Francis Schaeffer would have said this, I know that everything today has to have a scientific explanation. It has to be like from empirical reasoning. If I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't dissect it, well, then it's just not real. Well, that's what we're being told. He says, here's what the gospel's saying. This is what God's going to do. Just because science says this, don't let that move you away from what God said. Hold on to it. Uh, you, you see that the life is built on materialism. Over and over again, all we're seeing, I get... I guess I'm a, a, as bad a culprit as the people I'm condemning, but, you know, you've got these people, you're going to rent a box, and they're going to bring it to your house, and you're going to take all your clutter, and you're going to put it in the box, and they're going to take and store it. You're gonna, not going to want it for who knows how long, but it'll be somewhere, and you'll know it's there. Well, I just got a basement. I solved that. I just put it all in my basement. My wife doesn't care what's in the basement. She just doesn't want it on the main floor. Keep it out of there. As long as I keep it out of there, pretty much peace in the valley. But I got enough stuff down there in the basement to build two or three cars. I could outfit at least the next four generations of Presbyterian ministers with books. 
I've got enough stereo equipment and camera equipment to live in the past for a long time. I can live in the past with all that clutter that I've accumulated. And I love my stuff. I love my stuff, okay? But, but I don't think that this is what makes me, it makes me have a lot of fun, but that's not what makes me. But materialism is saying that's all that makes us. That is what we are. You are nothing more than a bunch of water that electricity moves through. And at some point in time, the electricity is going to stop and the water is going to go into the ground. That will be the end. Well, that's not what the scriptures are teaching. How do we do this? How do we... We, we live by this kind of a faith in the gospel, and then it says continuance. Continuance is one of the key words here, that we continue in this. We just continue in it. Some of you come week by week here. You're continuing in this. We go to things like our worship service. We continue in those worship services. We get involved in fellowship with one another in various ways. I was getting some help from one of our uh, church members last Sunday night, and he says, I've got to be done by 5.30. And I said, 6.30. I said, oh, really? What's going on at 6.30? He says, well, three members of the Sunday school class, us three families, we eat together almost every single Sunday night, 6.30. Don't get in the way of 6.30. Continuance. We read the Bible, it's continuance. We pray, it's continuance. We continue in the things of the scripture. There's an old limerick that comes from England way back before people had any means of transportation. I've used it many times here, but the limerick asks a question, how do you get to London town, London town, London town? One foot up and one foot down, that's the way to London town. Now that limerick is telling us the way it used to be. That's the only way you'd get to London town. That's the only way you'll get to heaven. Calvin says a lot of people think they can just leap above a ladder. All they'll do is fall and break their neck. That was the way Calvin said that. It's a step by step. The Bible oftentimes uses the word of walking and stepping. It's that kind of a living. Now, the question is, can one see this? And I would say, is not this basically the ongoing, invisible work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives? It's spiritual work. It's the spiritual work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all the time working in you, taking you from what you were, taking you where you're at, and taking you to where you're going to be. And this is God's doing, and we are to live in faith in that which God is doing. Again, consider the distance there is from verse 21 to verse 22. For me, it started at age 22. So it's been a lifetime. Consider it from the perspective not merely of time, of a lifetime, but it's a purification. The things that I did prior, 
that would be descriptive in verse 21, I don't do those things anymore. My life's been changed. As Paul says, I'm moving from one degree of glory to another degree of glory in the Spirit and by the Lord. There is a change of of a distance of purification. It's a path of change. To me, it's always been exciting to be a, a Christian because I see so many people that are not Christians and they get stuck. They get to a certain point in their life, and it just seems as if whatever was the zest that they once possessed, the zest is gone. They don't see any purpose in the present, and they have very little hope for the future. And I've found within my own walk, my wife's, most of you that I come in contact with, there is a zest you know there's going to be change, and you know that the change is going to be a gracious change. And so you're anticipating the future, and you're not wanting to return or something live in the past. But it's a great distance, and it's a life of renewal. This is constantly going on within us that not only are things changing, not only is there a sense of renewal, But there's a sense of a growth in love. There's a sense in a growth of hope. There's a sense of a growth in faith. And this is a renewal. And this renewal is the work of God. And he's doing this in us all the time. Now, one of the things that has to be understood in our culture today is that this is done in fellowship. These things that we've just talked about that are spiritual hardly ever happen to a person who operates in isolation from other Christians. Now, there was uh, the journalist, um, I'm trying to think of his name, he was in prisoner in Beirut for so many years, Terry Anderson, and he became a Christian. On the island of Cyprus, just a few months before he was taken hostage there and held in Beirut for all that period of time. Now, the man grew remarkably spiritually during those seven years. Can I tell you that that is not a norm? That's a work of the great grace of God, but he was, he was in a forced isolation. Our isolating ourselves reminds me of a verse in somewhere around chapter 17 or 18 in the book of Proverbs, one of the first verses of one of those chapters, and it says, He who isolates himself rages against everyone. He's almost saying they're beyond help. Don't isolate yourself. Christianity is meant to be lived in fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and saints. That's how we grow. You see in this epistle, there's Paul's name, there's Timothy's name, there's Epaphras' name. At the end, there's the names of just a myriad of people. Um, Paul went from being whatever he was prior to being his Christian, uh, his Christian conversion to being one of the most warm, well-liked, well-received, and loving people um, that ever existed in human history. 
To be called Paul's friend, would have, you could probably couldn't think of a higher compliment. When you read the end of the book of Romans, this man had friends, and they were real. This is what we need in order to have a spiritual life. The spiritual life is live with other people who are living a spiritual life. And the scriptures warn us, bad company corrupts good morals. We need to be very careful about that. Now, the second thing we want to think about is there is a fight. There is a fight to get us from where we are to ultimately to the Father's house. And in this epistle, that fight is portrayed negatively and that fight is portrayed positively. Now, dealing with the negative first, the negatives are popular. The negatives have an enduring popularity. Uh, they just manifest themselves in different ways and different times in the, in the various cultures of history. But they're always there. They're always catchy. People are, are drawn to them. But these things can be understood as being false, as being negative, basically on this one level. All these things that are false aspects of true spirituality are basically things that can be seen, critiqued, and evaluated. And when you see that these things can be seen, critiqued, and evaluated, you can almost bet that they're not a good, legitimate standard for true spirituality. Well, I had thought of a few of them that would be contemporary, and maybe I'll punch myself with a few of them at the end. But in chapter 2 of this epistle, when you get to verse 16, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Now, what are they talking about passing judgment on? Well, there are regulations here. The way you're going to regulate your life. People want to regulate your life. Have you ever figured that out? People know better how you should live your life than you do. You don't see any of that, I know, in our culture today. You know, right now, this morning, it was don't get in the sun. Well, if you get in the sun, you're going to get skin cancer. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to know that. Um, Y'all, just ask yourself a question. When you were young, do you remember that many people having dementia and Alzheimer's? Huh. not that interesting? You know what they found is one of the primary reasons things that are missing in dementia and Alzheimer's people? What? You got it. What do we get from sunshine? Vitamin D. Vitamin D. These people are all vitamin D. Oh, I need to put on sunscreen. Let's lather that stuff on. And then I'll be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> soon. Well, that's, this is regulation nation. Well, but the church is regulation nation to a great extent. So we, we have things here about regulation of foods. Now, I don't want to be terrible on this, but we've got an organization out here that sees themselves as a messianic congregation. And we've got people that are part of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And they're right here with these verses. None of these foods 
No shrimp, no catfish, no pork. All this is bad. Now, we've got things in the scripture that tells us that those dietary rules have been set aside. But, you know, if you keep dietary rules, I can keep an eye on you. And I can determine whether you're spiritual or not. You know, they got drink rules here. Uh, Chip's been real good on the wine lately, and he said a couple weeks back, you know, right from the pulpit, you know, something about, I will not drink it new until I drink it with you in the kingdom of heaven. He says, now, I don't know what that's got to say about grape juice, but I don't think so. And so, all right, we got people that are into no stimulants. So, okay, no stimulants, no wine. Well, how about no coffee, no tea? Well, that makes sense. So no coffee, no tea. I can watch you. I can, I can look at you. Most of y'all got tea today. I got water. Well, that's what we're saying here. Spirituality based upon what you eat. Spirituality on what regulations. Uh, they've got festival days. I call it religious big deals. Did you go to the last religious big deal? If you didn't, like that. And it moves on. You've got renewals. Their renewals were a monthly thing from the cycle of the moon. And they did certain things for personal spiritual renewal that that were outward rites that they did at every new moon. This was to make them clean. You had Sabbath legalism here. Now, when it says Sabbath day here, I think this is one of the first indications by Paul in the New Testament that he was not keeping the Jewish Sabbath, and he was telling the people who were saying, this must be kept as a regulation to regulate your life, no. Now, he's not against a a one day in seven, but he is against Sabbath regulation. You have down in verse 18 asceticism, and that is life lived pinched. You know people that live a pinched life, and they want you to live a pinched life because their life is so holy because it's pinched? I just basically think it's shallow and narrow and not very big. It's pinched. Asceticism is living a pinched life. Then you've got angel worship. This is still going on. It's part of our culture. Visions. People who have got these glorious visions for your life. You know, I've got a vision for some of your lives too, and if you really want to know, you can come and ask me. But you probably don't want to know. So, but that's what these people had. And then down in verse 21, it's don't, don't, don't. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. I mean, all of these things have this common denominator. They're visible to the naked eye. They can be judged. They can be approved. They can be condemned by man. 
That is not spirituality. Anybody trying to live, to move from where we are, ultimately to the Father's house, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, needs to understand those things have failed every single time. And not only they failed because they're impractical and not spiritual, they fail because they're not God's ideas. They're man's ideas. Now, positively, when we come to understand what it is that we are to do, this whole epistle is filled with it. This epistle opens up with Paul telling the people in this church, I am praying for you. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul ends this epistle. Paul is a big man. Truth in influence doesn't merely flow one way from him. So he says in chapter 4, verse 2, you pray for us. Now that's the way our relationship should be. I'm praying for you, but I know that you're praying for me. Now, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, we're not just told to pray, but we're told the things for which we should pray. We should be praying for things that we would know the Father's will. Internal, heart, mind, heart, we need to know the Father's will. We need this word walk comes up again. We know how to walk in a manner pleasing not to people, but to the Lord. Then we need to be people that are bearing fruit, not the kind of fruit that can necessarily be evaluated and judged like cherries and oranges and such as that, but we need to be bearing fruit like love, like joy, like peace, like patience, like kindness, like gentleness, like meekness, like self-control. These are internal realities that become increasingly a part of our lives. So we're praying for these kind of things. And at the end of this, Paul is saying, you know, be grateful and thankful. God has taken you from the domain of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of his son. Be thankful. We're going to talk more about that, but not today. In chapter 2, verse 23, it says all these external things appear to be wise, but they're no good. They're of no help to help you move to be wholly blameless and beyond reproach. Paul, in verse chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says this. I'm writing you a letter. In chapter 4, verse 16, the last verse, Paul says, um, let's see here, did I get this? In verse 16, y'all, when this letter comes to you and you read it, read this letter. By the way, there's a letter that I sent to the Laodicean church. It's going to get there. You read it. The letter I'm sending you, you send that letter to the Laodicean church so that they can read it. So what Paul is saying is the importance of scripture. Paul wrote these things 
for us to hear them. And he didn't send us just one. We see this, that he is referring to this one church is going to be looking at two different letters. You know, I read a lot. I study a lot. I come back to this epistle a lot. I come back to the book of Hebrews a lot. I come back to the Gospel of Mark a lot. I come back to Romans a lot. And I come back to 1 John a lot. And I hate to say it, but the rest of the books of the New Testament don't get as much from me as those books do. But whatever it is, you need more than one book. You need to be reading the scriptures, reading the old uh, British literature person said, reading makes the full man. We need to be full of the scripture. So we see that this is a spiritual reality. The word of God. In chapter 1, verse 24, goes through chapter 2, verse 4. And in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he talks about spiritual leadership and following it. Your life needs to be led by leaders. At Laco County, on a Monday morning, after a worship service, Walter came to my office. That was not a smart thing. You don't go to the pastor's office on Monday morning, okay? At least give him till Tuesday. But he came on Monday, and he said, you know what you said yesterday? I said, yep. He says, the way you said it, certain people will hear what you said, and they'll tell their friends, and it'll have an influence on them coming here to this church. I said, Walter, you know in your house you have a picture of a great big huge Delta jet and it was photographed the day you made your last landing in Japan and your family was on that plane. You remember that picture? Oh yeah. I said, what, what would you have done if I would have walked up to you as you were getting ready to land and said, Walter, you get out of the seat. I'm going to land the jet. Walter looked at me and said, you don't know nothing about flying no jet. I says, Walter, you don't know nothing about building no church. <laughs> now, Walter is a great guy. He's one of my favorites. But Walter looked at me, and his, he's got his face about like this. He got his mouth about like this, and he went, oh. <laughs> and I says, precisely. <laughs> that ended that. <laughs> Churches... Individual people need spiritual leaders. You will not grow without following. The other day I preached, and a friend came up and said, Thank you for sharing today. I didn't think I shared anything, I thought I preached. Today we want sharing. The scriptures talk about preaching. That's how you get from where we are to the Father's house. In chapter 3, the whole chapter through the first verse of chapter 4, there are heart and soul regulations. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, 
tell us we have to keep focused on Jesus Christ. These are all things that basically are invisible. They're between you and God. If you want true spirituality, your spiritual life has to be between you and God, according to the scriptures. Let's pray. Now we ask, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you'll mature us and grow us, and that we will be like you, and that we will be with you, and that we will share your glory. And we pray that you would bring our friends and families out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your dear Son. We pray in his name. Amen.